So uh, the title for today, what is the gospel, right? I think this is a really important topic for us to dive into. You know, I talk about this very regularly, but there is and has been a very uh, concentrated attack on words, right? And so we see that words uh, can, can, can take on new definitions. And so there's, there's this, uh, this ideology within the constructs of communism and socialism that says that if you can't get a government to change its laws, right, to kind of help you get the process that you need in place, then simply change the definitions of words so that the words that are the law mean what you need them to mean, right? So you don't really have to change the law. If you can change the definitions, then you can get an entire society to believe that that's what the intent was behind it. And I got to tell you that either through just a, a, a well, through a combination of just master manipulation from the enemy and then just laziness on our part, we as Christians can be very um, uh, weak when it comes to sharing the faith because we don't hold to getting really solid understanding definitions around the words that we use. And so what happens is, is that we have an encounter with God. We hopefully find a church where the Bible's being taught. We show up on Sunday and, 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 and we have good intentions, right? I don't want to, I don't want to challenge the intentions, but because we don't take time to really learn what some of the language is, right? The definition of some of these words, we end up in this place where we pray, right? And, and we'll be praying and we'll be talking Father God, Holy Spirit, Jesus. We'll be interchanging, not really understanding what the different natures or what the different persons of God are. Uh, we'll, begin to, we'll begin to look at the process here specifically of the gospel, and we just we don't know how to describe exactly what it is, and so we just give these generic answers. And then somebody else comes along, and they go, well, hold on just a second. You're creating contradictions because aren't you saying this, and then the Scripture says that. And then a lot of times as Christians, we don't even really, like, we, we get shocked by that. We go, what? Hold on, the Bible says that? And, and so one of the things that I really aim to do in the way that we teach Scripture is to help equip all of us with just a proper understanding of what is meant by some of the terminology in Scripture so that we don't just kind of carelessly run around just using words because they're church words, right? So that we know what we're talking about. So, so today I want to take a look at what is the gospel. And one of the reasons why I say this one's so important is because this is one of those words that if not properly defined becomes the catalyst for this deconstruction that's taking place within the church. And you'll hear that word among a lot of what's called progressive Christianity that these people say, well, I'm deconstructing my faith right now. And, and then all of a sudden it kind of opens up to, to becoming more of universalism and God is in all things and God is through all things. It's kind of the path that it leads down. And, and one of the words that becomes problematic is the word the gospel. And so I, I, let's take a look at what Paul has to say about the gospel because I think this is one of the really, uh, one of the most 
most concise places for getting a definition of the gospel uh, or an orientation that kind of points us to a definition in all of Scripture. So he, he starts here and he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. Now, he uses this word gospel, right? But I, I just want to make a note here that as we translate this into English, um, it is of the gospel I preached, right? As if the gospel itself, right, is something that either there are different versions of, right, or there is something that, that changes within the gospel. And I'm going to explain why that is exactly what Paul is talking about, that there is a, there is a change. The gospel is something that is changing, for a lack of a better word, it is evolving. And this will make sense in just a moment. But the word gospel, just in the Greek, and, and this is not a spiritual word for, for Paul, right? What he's saying is the good news, the good message that I have preached, okay? So he's not... He's not, he's not taking some doctrinal word and saying like, hey, let's talk about the gospel, right? He's more accurately talking and saying this idea that, hey, I've got the, the good news that I have been preaching, right? So, so, so let's talk about what this good news is. Before we do, I have to ask the question, is the gospel defined by Jesus' death on the cross? And this is the hang-up right, that a lot of especially young Christians today get, get kind of stuck in because when you ask somebody what's the gospel, right, they, and, and maybe you've been guilty of this, I have been guilty of this, so I'll stand there with you if you have, we, will, we would say, well, the gospel is that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he was dead, buried, and, resurrection and resurrected, and he, he's ascended into heaven, and he's soon returning, right? We would say that's the gospel, Right, And so there creates this contingency in the minds of people that the death on the cross is it, it, basically like it is, it, it is a standard for the gospel. And then we go back to Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. So this is clearly before he, the cross, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying... The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So if Jesus is declaring the gospel before his death, does this discount the gospel? And I think that the thing that it discounts is the way that we interpret the gospel, the, the little definition that we put on the gospel because we don't take the time to really dive into what the good news actually is. Like, right now, honestly, when we just read through this, we know Paul says that Jesus's death on the cross is, is a very important part of this, okay? Uh, but clearly, Jesus comes in and is telling people that he has come to proclaim the gospel, right? So, it doesn't mean that the gospel is completely discounted. It just means that we're not defining it well, okay? It, that, that you and I, that the church globally hasn't done a great job at defining the gospel. And I, I want to pose the question, what if the gospel is simple? What if it's not so complicated, right? What if it doesn't have to have every single little, little doctrinal piece kind of 
tethered into it for it to be accurate. I mean, we like simple things, right? We like simple ingredients in our food. We like simple policies when our, when our uh, uh, politicians are putting forward policies, right? Like, like thousand-page little booklets on a single law. Like we go, what, what's inside of this, right? Well, we got to pass it to know, right? No, that doesn't make any sense. We like simple things. We like simple consequences, right? They don't need to be long and drawn out. And I like simple sequels, right? If I like a movie, I don't need you to reimagine it in the sequel. Just give me more of what I already liked, right? If you want to reimagine something, just make your own thing. And if I like it, I'll watch it. But don't tell me I'm coming for a Star Wars sequel when I'm actually getting Star Trek, right? Come on, somebody's feeling the spirit in this place. Tahila, right? So what if the gospel is simply at its core, at its very base, Jesus? What if the gospel at its very simplest is Jesus? John chapter 1, verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Right? I can't think of any better news than the fact that that the Lamb of God came to take away the sin of the world. You see, here's the thing about Jesus. In the Old Testament, the story foretells his coming. In the Gospels, it reveals Jesus. In the Acts, it declares Jesus. In the Epistles, it explains Jesus. And in the Revelation, it tells us that we can expect Jesus to return. You see, from Genesis to Revelation, there's always been two main themes. We are sinners, and Jesus is going to pay the price. You see, it's always been about Jesus. It'll always be about Jesus. And so quite simply, if we want to know what the gospel is, we can just start with Jesus. And we don't have to know all of the other little intricate details. We can say Jesus came to take away the sins of the world. That's my sins. That's your sins. He came to pay that price. Now, if the gospel is Jesus, then what was his purpose or what is the good news? Look here at Mark chapter 5. Going here in verse 5, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So Jesus comes, right, declaring the gospel. What's the gospel? It's the, the good news. I'm here, the one that's going to take away the sins of the world. And what does he do? He comes and forgives sin. And, and what's the response, right? His, his enemies reject the good news. They reject the good news. Now, does the gospel in the end have nothing to do with his death? No, I think that it does. But here's the reality. The gospel is a linear story. And so the gospel has been from the beginning, and it will be to the very end. And so when Jesus is declaring the gospel, what he's doing is, is he's declaring the story thus far. You see, it's the good news of Jesus. And Jesus had not yet died on the cross, right? But he had arrived. And so he was able to declare the gospel. Now, now this is significant. When we get to the end, it's going to impact how we declare the gospel, because we look at how Jesus declared the gospel. So let's go back to 1 Corinthians here in 15. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, right? 
and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So there is the reality that some people can, can hear the gospel, they can declare that they receive this Jesus, but they can do it in vain, right? So they're, they're not making a stand, they're not, they're not walking this faith out, okay? Instead, there's something else going on. Paul's not really going to dive into what that looks like. He wants to focus back in on the message, the good news that they've heard, because the gospel is apparently very important because it is the vehicle or tool by which we are actively saved. The good news is, is, is somehow, right, it is the very delivery agent, the thing that is at work inside of us. And he says here, he says, this word that I preach to you, and I, I like to go through and look at the words while I'm pre preparing, and that's why I kind of randomly pull words out in the Greek to show you. This one was interesting because in the Greek, it is proclaim to announce good news, especially the gospel. So this word preach in the Greek is a word that actually is found inside of scripture. It's not used commonly in other Greek literature because it is about people who are declaring the gospel, the good news that is as it relates to the lives of the people who are listening to it. And he says, this is what I came and preached to you. And what does he say? He says, if you hold fast, right? That is to hear it and hold to it, meaning that I've heard it, I've received it, I've ingested it, now I'm going to walk it out. And this is why understanding Scripture is so, it's so important, because not only do we hear it, right, but when we hold fast, that means that I, I hear that the Scripture, has, that, that God's saying this thing, he's, there's this expectation that as His child I live this way, and I begin to walk that out. I begin to change the way I live. Again, this is part of that contradiction that takes place, I think, within a lot of quote-unquote Christians is that we hear the good news, we don't walk out what it is that we are uh, hearing, we don't hold to it. And so again, somebody from the outside is like, well, I don't understand, you're preaching this one thing, you're living this other way. And I think that in a lot of ways, we create the doubt that the world around us is holding on to. So verse 3, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. What does he say? First importance. What does that mean? The foremost principle, beginning. It is foundational. So yes, the gospel is absolutely 100% tethered to Jesus' death on the cross, right? Why? Because Jesus has died on the cross. Before Jesus had died on the cross, it was still good news, right? But the story is, it's a linear process, right? So we do not declare that the good news is that Jesus has returned and set up New Jerusalem. It hasn't happened yet, right? Now, we can foretell of that. We can say it's going to happen. And this is why the gospel for Jesus was not simply like, hey, I've died on the cross. I've paid the price. No, I'm going to pay the price. Look at this. John chapter 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, right? So the gospel, the good news Jesus is declaring is what? That Jesus came to die. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down. So there's a difference here in the way that the gospel is presented, and, and that is perfectly okay. Jesus came to die. That is the testimony. That is the gospel presentation in that day. For us, Jesus died. 
And it might seem like this little, this little small, little nuanced detail. But if we can come to understand that the gospel, right, is this linear story that has, has come to the place where we are at right now, I think that we can, the gospel can be presented in a way that includes our testimony. Now, this is good news. Now, why does he use this language here, though? In John 10, he says that, that laid down his life for the sheep. Well, that's a very intentional word choice for him. Go to Isaiah 53, verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so what Jesus is saying is the him that was referenced here in regards to the sheep was Jesus. And Jesus is telling them that here's the good news, right? That the iniquity has been laid on my shoulders. I am the shepherd and I will lay down my life for the sheep. And so the gospel presentation for Jesus is, the good news is I've come to take away the sins of humanity. And the gospel presentation for Paul is, as I told you, first importance, Jesus came and he did the hard work. He carried away the sins of humanity. Go back to 1 Corinthians here, verse 4, that, that he was buried, okay, so he continues from there, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This word buried, it means to celebrate funeral rites. So it's not just this, you know, just sad, like, oh, we just put him in the ground. But the, the thing that Paul's communicating is that there was a celebration around the fact that he died, right? That he was raised. Raised means to wake, to rouse. Okay, now watch this. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. This is the, I think this right here is the most important part of the message today, is this, this one word, and it is the word and. This is what I'm trying to kind of hone in on for us. Jesus died on the cross, dead, buried, resurrected, ascended, soon returning. All of that is a part of the gospel. But I think the reason that people get hung up on how is this the gospel, what is the good news around this, is because that is 100% where so many times we just stop. But Paul says, I, pro, I, proclaim, I preached this, this message to you first and foremost that, yes, Jesus died, buried, right, resurrected. He's ascended. Then he goes right here and he says, and, and that in the Greek is even also, namely, what? He says, there's more to the good news. What is this? The gospel is the continuing story. It is the testimony, the weapon that destroys the enemy, right? In Revelation, it says that the enemy is defeated by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. That's good news. The blood has been shed. The lamb has, has, been, has, been, has poured out its blood for us. Now, how is the enemy defeated? by the word of the saint's testimony. It's our story, right? And so Paul, he kind of jumps in and he says, and that he appeared to Cephas, right? So, so let's talk about some of these things. John chapter one, verse 42, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas. Who is Cephas that he's revealed himself to? Well, Cephas in, in Aramaic is rock and Peter in Greek is rock. He has revealed himself to Peter, right? And so he says that, and Paul, using this language, he says, let me tell you, the gospel is that Jesus died on the cross, 
the gospel is that Jesus revealed himself to Peter, right? Verse 6, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. So the gospel is a relentless and continuous story of good news. And the gospel is the interaction of Jesus in the lives of others. And I want to argue that it is, the gospel is the, the uh, interaction of Jesus in our lives. It is the Holy Spirit in Side of us, equipping us to be a testimony. And so the good news is not just that Jesus came and died on the cross, but let me tell you about the healing that's taken place in my family's life. Let me tell you about what the Lord is doing in my life. Let me tell you about the encounter that I have had. So then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And this one was another interesting one because when you read James, you immediately think of one of the apostles, but there's a separation here. And and that is because this was probably James, Jesus's brother, who was not one of the official uh, 12 followers of Christ. And this was kind of interesting to me. So a lot of the early church fathers quote from a fifth gospel that we don't have in scripture called the gospel to the Hebrews. So it's not the book of Hebrews. And, and, and I, I reference this because what the early church taught is really, it's, it's really important to me. And when I say the early church, I, and I, and, you know, I kind of get into this, I'm not talking about like 1600s, you know what I'm saying? Like, I want to know what were they teaching in 200 and 300 AD, right? Following the death of the apostles, the establishing of the church, what were they, what were they teaching several generations later? And so you have a number of church uh, fathers during this time who make references in their sermons and in their teachings to this gospel that they've seen called the gospel to the Hebrews. Now, we have found dozens of uh, pieces of what appear to be this gospel, right? Now, why would it not be in Scripture today? Why would it not be canon? Because it was to the Hebrew people. It wasn't to the Gentiles. It was not, for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit did not see fit to preserve that. It did its work. Just like we know that 1 Corinthians is not the first letter Paul wrote to, to the church in Corinth. He references the fact that he had written other letters. We trust that God knows what he's doing and that God preserves the integrity of his word that is for us. But they make reference to this, and in it, there is a testimony of, so clearly he's, he's talking about Jesus' encounter, right? The gospel is that Jesus revealed himself to Cephas, that he revealed himself to the 500, to the disciples. He revealed himself to James. Who is James? Jesus' brother. And so Jerome, one of the early church fathers, uh, says this. He says that the gospel written according to the Hebrews, which was lately translated by me into the Greek and Latin tongues, and which Origen often uses, relates after the resurrection of the Savior that when the Lord had given the linen cloth to the priest's servant, he went to James and appeared to him, for James had swore that he would not taste any bread from the time he had drank the cup of the Lord until he saw him rising from the dead. Again, a little after, bring me, again, a little after, bring me, says the Lord, the table and the bread, and it is immediately added. He took the bread and blessed and break it, and gave it to James the just, and said unto him, My brother, eat thy bread, for the Son of Man is risen from the dead. So in this writing, he says that there was an encounter where Jesus came and revealed himself to James. Now, I bring this up, one, because clearly 
uh, Paul thinks that it's important for us to know, and he knows that the, the church in Corinth is aware of some story and an encounter with James and Jesus. It is good for us to know that it is not exclusively the apostles that have these encounters with Jesus. And, and by what means does that matter? Because he knew that the testimony had been heard by them. And so when we have an encounter with God, right, the gospel, the good news is spread by us sharing the encounter that we've had with God. Verse 8, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Verse 9, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And so Paul is He's laid out, there's been all these encounters, and then he, he's going to come back to himself saying, even I had an encounter with Jesus, and this is the gospel, is that Jesus is alive and that he's interacting, right, with the people that are here on this planet. And Jesus, I mean, Paul wants to make sure that we understand that Jesus is not combing through our social media posts looking for dirt to bury us with, Right? He's not looking at your past going, yeah, well, you're pretending to be this thing today, but I know what you were doing weeks ago. I know what you were doing 10 years ago. I know that joke that you told, and if anybody else finds out, they're going to deplatform you, cancel you. They're going to hunt you down to the ends of it. You will never be forgiven, right? Jesus is totally opposite of that. What does Jesus do? Jesus comes and says, you know what? Paul, you lived an incorrect life. I'm revealing myself to you and giving you an opportunity to repent. So Paul knows that he lived a life with incredible confidence that was completely off base. He, he believed he was doing the right thing, persecuting Christians. And now he knows that it didn't matter how much he believed it, it was wrong, right? It was wrong. It wasn't the, the, the true gospel. He was not a part of the true uh, uh, expression and manifestation of the things of God. Go back here to verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So, Let's just take a moment and look at this word grace, because this is another word, and the gospel is my focus today, but I, just a little extra credit here for you. This is another word that gets really, I think, abused in church circles, okay? This word grace is graciousness by manner or act. So, so kind of get a hold of this real quick. Grace is an action, not a description. It is an action, not a description. So I don't get to walk around going, oh, but the grace of God, I've, I, man, I'm a grace-filled person. No, 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 no. Grace is an action. It is something that is at work inside of me and through me, right? So if it is at work, it is not covering things up. It is changing things. Grace is not my justification to live life how I want to live. No, grace is actually the work of God transforming me. And he says, I would have continued to have been a low-down, dirty, good-for-nothing, murdering Jew, in this case, zealot, if it were not for the grace of God, the grace of God that was actively at work in me. You see, I may be a sinner, unqualified, unworthy, with tweets that haven't aged well, 
but the work is God-led, inspired, holy, and authoritative. You see, it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what you've done, right? What matters is, and this is grace, is that the, if when, you, when you accept the gospel, when you fully understand your role in the gospel today, right now, the things that God's calling you to, the work that he's calling you to, it's God-led. That means it's fierce. That means it is anointed. That means that it is holy. That means it has purpose. And we look at it and go, oh, man, yeah, you know, I want to believe what they're doing right now, but I saw this thing that they did, and that's not how it works. And Paul says, look, I mean, you, by your own methods, and human methods do this, I, I know. I know I'm, I'm a mess. But the work is not a mess. The anointing is not a mess. You see, the grace of God makes sure that the thing that's happening right now that's testifying the gospel, that's changing lives, it's a God thing, not a me thing anyway. And so if it were a me thing, it would be a mess. The reason it's not a mess is because it's God. That's grace. And you see, grace is me being a mess, but the work being life-giving. And this is why, I got to tell you, this is why we can watch incredibly successful ministries have leaders that that make mistakes and fall and it not discount what God did through that ministry because the work is covered by grace it is grace that makes sure that that the work is not an extension of man but an extension of God and I've had people who have told me you know man I got saved under this you know, at this event, under this pastor, under this leader, and then it turned out they were in this sin. And, and does that mean I'm not really saved? Not at all, because God, the Holy Spirit is the one. That's the grace. That's the grace that's at work, is that the Holy Spirit is working in and through each and every one of us. And he finishes this thought here in verse 11. He says, whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Now, this verse, this verse is really important when we get into the go- when we begin to properly define the gospel, right? Those who are called by God and are obedient to that calling preach the same gospel. You've got, you've got to hear this. There are elements, right? He says, first and foremost, principally, the thing that we have to start with, Jesus died, Jesus was resurrected, Jesus ascended, Jesus is returning. These are fundamental. The gospel being preached that does not include that, right? That is not the gospel. And, and we have these warnings, and, and it, this is, it's kind of frustrating for me as a pastor, right? Because the scripture gives us warnings that there will be those that will come in my name, that they will give false teachings, that they will have false prophecies. Like we have all these warnings. And then when somebody strays from the gospel, our humanity kicks in and we go, well, you know, that's not really talking about them. It's not talking about that person. And the question then is, well, then who is it talking about, right? If we make an exemption for everybody that wants to go extra biblically down the rabbit hole and forget what Scripture says and begin to manipulate the gospel and ultimately deconstruct and have multiple gods in their lives, and, right, 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 then who is it for if it is not for them? And when we don't do a better job at calling out those that are preaching a different gospel— then what we do is we allow people to be led astray. And I got to say that if we were really a loving people, we would not want that for them. 
we would not want them to be led astray. And so there is, there's so much power in this verse here because he says that those that, that, that you have heard preach, right, they were preaching this gospel, right? And this gospel, it begins with Jesus, right? And it ends with Jesus, but it runs straight through you, straight through me. It is the gospel story of Jesus's interaction with me and with you. And I, I want to I I say this, right? Academics are good, but, do not def- but they do not define calling or qualifying. The gospel is preached by those who have had an encounter. You can have all the schooling in the world, but if you haven't had an encounter with Jesus, if you haven't had an encounter with the, with the one that paid the price for you, right, then you are only talking about it from an academic standpoint. And here's the good news is that he wants to have an encounter with you. And when we have an encounter with him, things begin to make a lot more sense, right? We begin to ask questions, right? Or listen to this, when, when we are around people who have had an encounter with Jesus, right, we are drawn in to say, okay, what does that look like? And I'm going to tell you, like, the, the, the first supernatural moment in my life that I ever experienced where I heard the voice of God speak to me came because other people were testifying about encounter an encounter with God, and I began to pray and say, God, if this is real, I want to hear from you. God, if this is real, I want to know you. I want to have an encounter with you. And, and let me just tell you, I, I, I want to be fair. This was not like a one-time prayer. In fact, for probably almost a year, I prayed consistently asking God to reveal himself before I had an encounter with God. And I just, I want to tell you that you need to have an encounter with Jesus to fully understand the gospel. And you won't find people who have had an encounter with Jesus, right, distorting the gospel. You'll have people who have had an encounter with humanity, they'll distort the gospel because they'll look at the people around them and go, well, I wouldn't do this or I wouldn't do that, right? I use this, this illustration all the time. It's just so simple, right? It's really easy to, 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 to look at a situation, right? And if you were to see me, you know, run down the street and knock somebody over, you could look at that and say, man, Pastor Jim, that was the meanest thing I've ever seen anybody do in my life. You just clotheslined that person. And it didn't look like it was for any reason, Right? And if, I turn, if you turn your back right then, right, and say you even got a good little short film of it, and you turn around and you're focused on your live stream, you won't believe what I just saw. Look at this pastor. He just knocked this blah, 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 blah down. The, to, so that you don't see the 18-wheeler that was barreling down the street, right? Somebody else says, man, that was the greatest act of love I've seen. You almost yourself got hit by that 18-wheeler saving that person's life. But because the other person didn't see the 18-wheeler, they said that's an act of hate. And I just go back to this thing. An act of love, man, is not just everybody getting to feel what they want when they want, right? We've got to be bearers of the cross. We've got to be those that are preaching the gospel. Because let me tell you, you don't love people if you aren't connecting them to Jesus. Because the, the, the ultimate price for being disconnected from Jesus, right, is an eternal one. So real love is in pursuit of getting people to the cross. That's what love looks like. And the gospel, man, the gospel is powerful, and the gospel includes you and me. Let's stand to our feet.
as we close out today, listen, if you haven't had an encounter with Jesus in your life, if you have not had a, a moment where all of it began to make sense, where God showed up and did supernatural something in your life, I, I want to I ask you not to be discouraged. And also, don't just be... Um, Don't just kind of blow it off and go, well, I'll still, I'll still be here, right? I want to encourage you. Maybe it's just you need to do this in your own private time. But begin asking God to reveal himself, right? Begin to ask God to, to reveal himself in a way that, that you experience that encounter. And I want to encourage you to do that over a period of time, right? Take your time. I, you know, Moses knew that he, there was a prophetic call on his life, right? And at 40 years old, because he had not had that encounter, he took matters into his own hands and killed an Egyptian, and in, an Egyptian guard, and ends up running out into the wilderness, right? It's 40 more years before he has an encounter with God. Now, I don't say that to discourage you that you might be 80 before you have the encounter, but I just want to tell you that God, God also has his own timing, Right? And, and I want to say that I, I got to believe that the timing for Paul was that Paul, that there needed to be a testimony that came out of this, this Hebrew people, right, that had been very stubborn to accepting the Messiah. There needed to be somebody from in the midst of that that had walked some really dangerous and dark places to stand up and say, I had an encounter with Jesus. And in so, the gospel becomes richer and fuller. And so don't be discouraged. I want to encourage you, be in a place of prayer, asking God to reveal himself. Now, if you've had an encounter with God, I want you to begin to think through, like, how is my testimony a part of the gospel? How is it a part of the good news? The good news is Jesus did this in my life, right? And there's fruit for that. And begin to think about that and begin to think about how you describe and apply that, right? How do I become a vessel that pours the gospel out around me, that I become one that preaches it? And then if you don't know Jesus as Lord of your life, we want to pray with you today that you would come to know him. The good news is this. Yes, Jesus died on the cross. But let me tell you, it goes far beyond that. You see, in 2022, he is at work. He is at work interceding for my family. We are seeing miracles take place in our lives, right? I would love to sit down and tell you about all of the good things we've seen God do and all of the really difficult things God has walked us through right? He has been with us, and that is a part of the gospel because it is good news. We are not alone. Come on, let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your consistency. I thank you for the Holy Spirit that comes and indwells in us. I pray that we would be, that we would be open to be used however you see fit that we would be the amplification of the gospel, that our testimony, that our testimony tethered with your sacrifice would erupt from us and that it would do the work of seeing the enemy defeated. Lord, I thank you. We walk through some really crazy times right now. And I think often I'm feeling like there's, there's, there's no resource out there that says, here's what you do when the world is acting like this. But then I'm reminded of the gospel and the good news that Jesus is coming back.
And I pray, even so, come quickly. And allow us in these days to be beacons of light that share the gospel, the good news. Use us. We love you and praise you in your mighty name. Amen.